0: We're going to read 1 Peter three thirteen to twenty two, and Joy is going to come and read that for us.
1: Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him.
0: Well, this evening, please do open with me to the book of First Peter and to chapter 3. And we're going to work through from verse 13 to 22 uh, this evening. It's great to gather on the Lord's day with the Lord's people to worship Him and to sing His praise. It's great to hear from His Word and to hear Him speak. And as we do that this evening, we're coming to His Word and we want to think this evening about fear about fear and whether or not we should be a people of fear, should we be a church of fear, or whether we should be a people of confidence, a church of confidence. And I wonder this evening, if I was to ask you, what is it that if I was to ask you for Jesus, or to do for Jesus, that would strike fear into you, I wonder what you would respond. You know that feeling whenever someone asks you, what did you read this morning in God's Word? And for a moment, your heart jumps, and you think to yourself, I can't remember, or perhaps you hadn't read the Bible that morning, and it strikes fear into your heart, and you quickly think of a psalm that is your favorite that you know something about. Well, what about tonight if someone asked us for Jesus to go and to knock a door in Hill Street, or to do a leaflet drop in Sloan Street, to do a litter pick in New Street, to invite people on the doors of James Street or Mark Street or George Street or Ann Street or Union Street or whatever street it is that you live on? How would that make you feel? Would you be afraid? Maybe it would be telling your work colleagues that what you actually did today was you went to worship the Lord. Whenever they ask tomorrow in church or in work, what did you do? And instead we give the response, I didn't do much but actually we could tell them that we came to worship. Maybe that would strike fear in us. Maybe it would be talking about Jesus in our own families. Maybe it would be praying with our families. Maybe it would be going to a prayer meeting. Maybe it would be praying out loud in a prayer meeting. Maybe it's going to small groups. Maybe it's being asked to help at Relate or Sunday School or one of our other organizations. Maybe it's been asked to share your story of how you have encountered Jesus and how he's changed you. Often we are a people of fear. We are afraid to do these things. And Satan and his kingdom love to see us being a people of fear. If we are crippled by fear, then we will not advance and we will not be on the attack. As a church, we will not be looking to go forward. And at worst, sometimes we don't even care enough to be afraid. If the truth is told, sometimes we don't care enough about Jesus to be afraid of the responsibility of bearing him. And at best we are people who apologize for our Lord and King. We are timid, we are shy, we are reserved, we are not confident and brave and courageous. And the problem is that we often buy into the narrative that the world tells us that we must be tolerant and not unreasonable, we must be normal and not crazy. And yet the world pursues evil and crazy evil. It's deemed to be progressive, yet they seek to destroy the world and its citizens. And yet we do understand an element of fear, don't we? We understand an element of fear in today's climate, but that doesn't make it okay. Just like First Peter here tells the churches in modern-day Turkey in verse 13, why is it that we are afraid? Why are we a people of fear whenever we see who God is and what He has done for us? So that's what we're going to take time to work through this evening. So we can be afraid internally in the meeting here. We can be afraid externally as we go and serve him. And this church was facing persecution. This church here was facing a struggling lifestyle inside and outside the church. There was little hope for them. They had various trials. They were grieved. It was tough in the workplace. It was tough in the local community. It was tough in the home. And the church hadn't had it easy. Yet in chapter 4 and verse 12, just a few verses later in our passage, we see, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. It's to be expected, isn't it? This tough situation that we find ourselves is to be expected. And Peter here lavishes the churches in God's encouragement, he breathes it upon them. He tells them from chapter 1 of First Peter who they are they are to praise God because of his great mercy. And in chapter 2, he tells them exactly who they are. They're chosen and precious in his sight. It's the best reformed theology that they could ever, ever ask for. It's the best course that they could ever ask for. And he couples that with practical theology. He tells them what it looks like in real life, what it looks like as we walk through the gritty details of life. And through it all, what does Peter do? He keeps bringing the people back to basics. And so tonight, that is what we are going to see in this passage. In the midst of the people's fear, in the midst of their doubt and their disbelief, in the midst of their apathy and laziness, Peter speaks God's words, and he tells him, do not be a people of fear, verse 13 through to 17. Do not be a people of fear. Do not fear, man. I wonder this evening, have you ever watched a fight about to break out, and you think to yourself, this is not going to end well. This person who's picked the fight is picking the fight against a wrong person, whether it's a physical fight or whether it's the coming together of two people in competition. We've all been at the traffic lights, perhaps sitting in behind us, and there's a mini drag race that's about to take part. There's the R plate Corsa that's ready and raving. And then there's the 25 or 26-year-old that pulls up in the M3 BMW and the, the little fella in the courses thinks that he can still take the BMW and you know it will not end well. Or perhaps in our context, it's like Nigel trying to race Jonathan Ray, perhaps on his bike, which probably would not go well. It's like Pete trying to tackle Cristiano Ronaldo, even though I know you're a great centre-back, Pete. It's like me trying to tackle maybe Stuart Hogg, an international Scottish rugby player, British and Irish land, or British land, not an Irish land. A teenager may be throwing up their head at a parent at the meal that has just been cooked for them. That is not going to end well for the teenager. Or perhaps a boyfriend being an hour late on a date is not going to end well for them. You see, these things just aren't going to end well. There's no shadow of a doubt with it. And that is the comparison that Peter is speaking here to the church. You are afraid. You're afraid someone's going to harm you. You're afraid of what they're going to say against you. Why? Do you not see who is on your side? King Jesus is behind you. He has given you an inheritance. Even if you struggle, even if it's tough for a little while, you are chosen, and one day you will go home to be with him. Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16 is quoted just before our passage. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The Lord watches over his people. He listens to their prayer, but his face is against those who do evil. And in verse 14 of our passage, we see that Peter says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Man fears other men. We fear death. We fear our reputation being destroyed. But this quote is from Isaiah 8 and 12. And it says, do not fear. The Lord Almighty is the one that you are to regard as holy. He is the one that you are to fear. So as God's people, chosen and precious, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, to go and proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into light, a people who were not under mercy, but now we are. Go. Go and go and do good. And don't be afraid. Go set your hearts upon Christ as Lord. And then in the midst of it, always be prepared to give an answer. So Peter's encouraging the church, do not be distracted. Set Christ above all things. Set him above your fear. Set him above the voices of this world. Set him above your evil desires. So the Lord says to us this evening, give me your fear. Let me be Lord of your desires and your temptations. Let me show you how I am better this evening. So don't just set Christ apart, but set him above, put him on the throne of our hearts. And it's him who rules us because of what he has done for us. And it's not a mere practical rule keeping. This is an emotional, all-consuming, passionate way that we live, that our hearts are changed for him. How do we know that? Well, we see it in verse 15. We see it, your hearts are set on Christ. You're always prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. People here are able to identify that those in this church have hope. Their hearts are set on something else. They can see Christ in them and they want an answer for it. So too, we as Christians have hope in our hearts transformed by God's grace, and people will ask us, what is the hope that you have? What is the reason for it? And see how we are to respond. We respond in confidence, but we do it with gentleness and with respect. Our confidence isn't that we go and we dance and sing and are flamboyant with it, but we have a confidence and a strong confidence in Christ that plays itself out in gentleness and in respect. So people will see our God. How does someone know that we have hope if we are cold, if we are just following the rules? Well, they won't. They won't see him in us. But here we know in this church, in this place, in Hill Street, that a soul who encounters Jesus, who is transformed by Jesus, who has been made a disciple of Jesus, will have that hope in them and will have reason for hope. So for those of us who are shy this evening, Jesus works and changes our hearts. For those of us who are afraid, Jesus changes people with his authority. So we have to go do his will and have him as Lord and be confident in that. We are confident that Jesus transforms and changes people. Why are we confident? Well, this morning... As we gathered here, we met around his table as people who were transformed, as a church family who have been changed by his grace. Each one of us having a testimony of the Lord Jesus in our hearts. We know that he is living and he is active. So we do not fear man. Then we move into verse 18. And in Christ, there is no fear of God. In Christ, there is no fear of God. And we have to be careful what we're saying about this. And what we want to push against this evening is people who see God as this grandfather figure in the sky, who's someone who is angry with us all the time, that he is someone to be feared because he will punish us if we do wrong, that he will pour out his wrath upon us should we walk our our step over the tightrope of his will. And that is not the God whom we love and whom we serve. A fear of God is a fear of him in his holiness, a reverent fear, a fear of him in his awesomeness. It's a fear that humbles us, a fear that does not let us mess or belittle with our God, but we still remember that he is our father. He is our king. And we have this image of him throughout the Bible as father, the one who watches over us, who loves us, who calls us on himself. Yet with fathers, we have to be respectful and we do fear their rebuke. He is our king, he has summoned us, he commissions us, he makes us heirs and he adopts us, yet we approach only in the name of his son, lest his holiness should consume us. So we don't fear God in the way that the world thinks of God, that this man in the sky who's going to punish us, so then why as Christians do we live fearless lives? If this passage is true, why do we live fearless lives? Why do we live to do good? Why do we live to be motivated by God's will and not our own? Well, it's all hanging on verse 18. Look at it with me this evening. For Christ died for our sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. Friend, tonight we want to see this verse afresh and feel the weight of it. Christ's substitution for sinners is the highest exhibition of God's mercy for us. His substitution for us as sinners is His highest exhibition of His mercy. Do we see the price this evening that our Father had to pay? That He had to pay for our sin and for our rebellion? Do we see that our sin... The sins of our fathers and our mothers, the sins of our children, the sins of this church required Jesus Christ to have to go to the cross. That he loved us so much that he came to die for us. Because God is a judge, because he is holy, because he requires justice, our punishment had to be borne upon someone. He could not just sweep this under the carpet. The crime of original sin had been committed. But the one who was perfect was needed. The righteous one comes for the unrighteous. So as a church, each week as we meet here, as a body of believers, as a family, we come empty, we come broken, we come with the realization that we are useless, that we are a mess. And we need verse 18 to be true, that here comes Christ the righteous one, and he dies for us, the unrighteous once and for all to deal with our sins. As believers, we must see that we do not deserve this. There's nothing that we could do that could earn it. It's nothing to do with our second name. It's nothing to do with our birthright. No amount of money, no amount of doing good, no amount of uh, pilgrimage, no amount of doing anything could earn us this right or privilege. For us as humans, the game was over. We were lost. We were doomed. The sentence was pending. The punishment was certain. The fact is that because of sin, the price that should have been paid by each of us was eternal judgment and punishment without exception. Yet God had one way to bring us back to himself. As the death and as the punishment loomed over us, God sent his Son from heaven to stand in the courtroom and, although innocent, take the sentence that we deserved. Jesus knew as he came to earth that, he would, that it would require full obedience of his Father, full obedience even to death on the cross. Jesus knew who it was for. He knew that it was for us. And John 10, it tells us that he comes for those whom the Father had given so tonight, Christian, that is you. Church, that is us. And verse 18 tells us that it is done. It is completed once and for all. God is satisfied with this. The judge has, has met the requirement. The, the, Christ has met the requirement of the judge. As a result, he's brought us to God. He's changed how God views us no longer as those stained by sin, no longer as those dressed in dirty robes, but those who are dressed in the perfect robes of His Son. So because of Jesus tonight, we have avoided what we deserve. This is why the hymn writer can write these words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. And see, we praise God this evening that not only did Christ bear our punishment, not only did he stand in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous. You see, if it ended here, if it ended with the death of Christ, we would not have good news. We would not have the gospel. If Jesus died and didn't rise again, our faith is dead. But we praise God that he did rise by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we see it here in verse 15, or in in verse 18. For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So do we see this evening, church, how rich we are because of him? Do we see how much we owe him? And that is everything. He stood in our place, he bore our punishment, and he gives us hope and life. In Christ, there is no fear of God because he views us through his perfectness. Finally, this evening, In Christ, there is no fear of death because we have life in him, verses 19 through to 22. And these verses perhaps are a little bit tricky for us. There are many different interpretations that can be taken as we read this section. From 19, Through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And reading R.C. Sproul, I think Sproul lays it out really helpfully for us. He says, what happened? What is going on in this passage? Well, it's simply this. Jesus died. Jesus rose during the time in between. He entrusted his soul to God. Then in his risen state, he goes and he preaches to the spirits in prison. Who are the spirits that are in prison? Well, that is people. They are humans who are captive, just like Isaiah states, Christ come to set the captives free. So 1 Peter echoes much of the Old Testament and much of Isaiah. And the sons of man, these are those who are bound in prison, those who are sinners, just like in the days of Noah. The sin of man has abounded, even whenever the invitation was sent, in the days of Noah, all the way through to now. Then he moves into baptism, and he tells us that in baptism, we are not saved by it, but rather it is the promise that we make before God and that God is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promise. Yet we are saved not through this process, but we're saved through the resurrection of Jesus. So this is where Paul, or Peter goes full circle at this point. He says, in the middle of this, who is going to harm you? Who are you going to be afraid of? And he finishes off with verse 22 telling us how Jesus Christ, through the power of the resurrection, has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. The one who has borne our punishment, the one who has saved us by his grace, has gone into heaven, and he sits at God's right hand with the angels and with the authority subject to him. So friends, tonight, the king is on his throne and he has saved us by his grace once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. So we must go this evening and be active, be confident in who we are, that we are active in our prayer, that we are active in our discipleship, that we are active in telling others, that we're active inviting people to this place. If we believe this tonight, we have full confidence in inviting people here to Hill Street and inviting people to church, and inviting people to read the Bible one-on-one with us. If God is who He says He is, if Christ has achieved what is, is written for us here in verse 18, the substitutionary atonement, then there is hope, and there is life. And we must tell people that. As the believers gathered here, if we don't believe it, if we don't have confidence in that, then how do we expect others to come here and to have confidence that God changes people? So brothers and sisters tonight, have confidence in the Word of God. That as you read it with people, it will change people. Just as it has changed us. Have confidence that as you bring people along here to church, as you invite them to come along and to meet with God here in this place as we worship Him together, that He will change them because Christ has went to the cross for us. As we go out this evening, and we go into this week, these words are really helpful for us. The words of the hymn, No Fear in Life, No Fear in Death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns Or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. And in a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and respond to God's word by singing the words of the power of the cross. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. So we use this for the week that lies ahead. We use this passage to. Make us a people of confidence, but we use verse 18 to spur us and to fill us with hope. To go and to tell people of this good news that Christ came for the sins of those whom the Father had sent him for. Put the death in the body, made alive again through the Spirit. He is resurrected and he sits at God's right hand. Friends, who is going to harm us? What can man do on us? even if they kill us, then we go home to be with our Father in heaven to the inheritance that is kept imperishable on the field and unfading. Friends, we go tonight and we have Christ as Lord and we live in his hope. He has died in our place so that we can live. Now we live because he is on the throne. In many ways, this is fuel for our week. This is fuel for our Christian life. Let us come before him in prayer. Jesus, you are our King, and you intercede for us. And we praise you because of what you have done, that we have no fear of man that we have no fear of our heavenly Father and that we do not fear death because you have given us life. Father, help us to be a people of confidence. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit, the confidence and the boldness of him to be able to share, to share our faith, but also to share in this church that we would not be afraid to pray and to read with one another, that we would not be afraid to meet one with the other. But, Father, we need your help. And our hearts are full of joy this evening as we see verse 18, this word that you have given to us, that you sent your Son, the righteous for the unrighteous. Father, we praise you. We did not deserve this. You have taken us and changed us. You have poured your grace and your mercy upon us. Father, you have given us hope and you have given us life. We praise you for it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.